Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I appreciated the fact that, uh, you know, recently on social media, you started engaging politically. You were like, look... This stuff's kind of important. Let's like actually talk things out and like, uh, you know, be reasonable human beings, which, you know, I completely agree with. Yes, uh, but it's so difficult to get like even people who agree with you. If you just like, here's this point. And even people with agree like, yeah, because those crybaby lives blew it. It's like, no, no, no. Listen, man, if, if you're here, we're all going to engage in some talking. And uh, I want both. Oh, there should be more than two sides, but that's a whole other conversation. But I wanted to be human beings engaging and not just being so mad that they want to go out in the streets or wish death on somebody talking about politics. Um, I don't disagree that we need a different level of dynamism in our political system uh, that right now the duopoly is not great for any- I hate the damn duopoly. I hate it. And it is now my pleasure to welcome to Yang Speaks, two-time former WWE champion, headlining stand-up comedian, actor in films, TV. You might know him as Dolph Ziggler, but we know him as Nick Nemeth. Nick, welcome to Yang Speaks. What a great day this is for us. This is big. Yeah, yeah I am so pumped to connect with you because I, I there's so much I want to like ask you uh and unpack uh so the the first thing is i was looking at your background you should know so i'm a fan of wrestling so i remember when you debuted i remember your progression i remember when you were like the unsung uh high level performer that they eventually gave a chance um and, and like now i but even i did not know just how deep your athletic background went where you were a high level uh, high school and college wrestler. You were high school teammates with some animals. Freaking like Gray Maynard, like the UFC contender, was on your high school wrestling team. And I just thought to myself, "Holy crap!" Like, <laughs> like, like Nick. Grew that's up. pretty. That's pretty wild. I a real quick story about that. I I grew up in Cleveland, uh, fifteen minutes away from St. Edward High School, which happened to be a wrestling powerhouse. Like. Not state champions, national champions. Like amazing, amazing guys. I was okay. I was very averagey okay. But Gray Maynard was one way class above me. Uh, Andy Robot was three way class above me. He's a, a U.S. Olympian. Like there are some studs that came out of there and went on to college. And I think I got a little bit better in college. But I have had some crazy uh, just teammates just go on to just be. I oh, it's a podcast. I can swear ass kickers. Like so, it's pretty. It's pretty wild, you know. 
Yeah, podcast rules are you can say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> it's not it's not on uh, USA or, uh, you know, whatever network that, that you're going to be on. Uh, so uh, so the, the legend is that you realized you wanted to be a professional wrestler quite young. Uh, so did you actually become a high school wrestler in part because you even had this ambition in your head? It, not even in part, 100%. Like the plan was, uh, this is, I tell this story in standup all the time. I was five years old. Uh, Cleveland didn't even have a, an arena. So we had to drive out to Rich, the Richfield Coliseum. That's where the Cavs played when I was a kid. And we sat in the farthest away seats and there was no big Titan Trons, no big shows. It was just entrances and guys came out. And uh, after the show, we were so far away. I told my dad, I go, I want to be a wrestler. I want to do this. And he goes, okay, but you know, you got to start wrestling in a, a little bit different style. So at five years old, he signed me up for just one, one or two days a week wrestling with my friends uh, at my grade school. And I, no joke, I walked in the door and go, where's the ring? Where's the chairs? Where's everything? And he goes, no, 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 <laughs> this is different. And I go, okay. So I, I did it. And the whole goal through grade school, high school, college even was like, I go, if I can break some records in college and you can Google my name as like this all time winning wrestler, they'll have to give me a tryout. Right. Because, you know, and, uh, and luckily that's, that's what it was. Uh, just because having a, a background where you can Google my name and it was like, I just, as I graduated, I broke the record for most wins at my school, which is one of the goals I had. I mean, that, that's an incredible ambition when you're, uh, you know, five years old and thereafter, I went to WWE house shows uh, when I was young too, and you're right. There's no Titantron. It's just dudes come out. <laughs> There's just a black person, and guys come out, and that's it. And it's uh, it was still fun, you know. What's the? So I'm assuming you don't like paint your face or wear a title, but did you did you like have a special shirt ready to go? Like I'm gonna wear my Undertaker shirt. You know, it's a big show. Or you, like, what, what's the deal? I was a Macho Man guy, but I didn't have like Macho Man paraphernalia, <laughs> and, and I don't think he performed at the. Those shirts weren't everywhere like they are today. Like it was, it was hard to come by. Probably had to wait six to eight weeks in the mail or something. Like you know, it was a different time. Yeah, when you go, you go to the house show too. I remember when I went, like it was confusing initially. Because uh, there's no commentary in your ear either. You're just there and you're just like watching these <laughs> these guys <laughs> go at it. Uh, but it's still tremendous. I mean, it was it was formative. I remember I waited, uh, you know, in line to 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 meet various wrestlers. Uh, Andre the Giant performed at the show I was at, and the guy was just so enormous, larger than life. It was like I was pretty young, so I was like, "Holy shit!" If I like tucked into a ball, this guy could like you know eat me <laughs> like stuff me in his mouth or you know <laughs> like put there's, in his there's big guys in wrestling now but none of them were like that's like that's and as you're a kid you go oh this is like a person from a movie not real life like that's i i can't believe that and i was a small kid well, out. so that that's actually a question because when I was a kid, you know, I, I had fanciful thoughts like, oh, I'm I'm going to uh, be a pro wrestler, and like I had some moniker, but you know, not, nowhere near as uh, uh, as action oriented as as your ambition. So, did your family have an athletic background? Like, uh, how realistic was this when you were hatching this plan back in uh, uh, you know first it's grade? Funny people will go like, oh, I told my parents I was going to Hollywood to become a star. And they're like, yeah, right. Or so, but I was a little bit of a showman or, you know, annoying, I guess, always on. 
as a child even. So when I was like, hey, this is what I want to do, no one was like, yeah, right. They're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And I was like, okay. But <laughs> we, we made a deal. I made a deal with my parents. I said, this doesn't work out for a lot of people. Uh, I will graduate college first to have something to fall back on. Back when that was a big deal, graduating college, you know, when it made sense. Yeah, no, I remember. <laughs> and I so I did that and uh, I go, once I graduate, then I'm going to, I'm going to go to law school during the day and wrestling school at night. And it's a whole, I had it all planned out. And, um, and uh, luckily um, I moved to Arizona to live in my uh, um, aunt and uncle's guest bedroom to have residency for a year. And then it would turn out that law school would be way cheaper than it would normally be. Had it all worked out. Yeah. Had it all worked out. I never would have been able to do all the hours and do wrestling school and all that stuff. But while I was waiting to go to school at ASU, I got my tryout with WWE. So it all worked out somehow. Yeah. That the, the fact that you had law school, uh, you know, as your back burner or your, your fallback, I got to say, man, you dodged a bullet. Cause like you <laughs> as like, the, right? <laughs> <laughs> you now as like the, former champ, like, you know, 10 time intercontinental champ or whatever, whatever you are, like headliner versus like another fucking miserable lawyer. I mean, that's like a very, very uh, large I gap. So I would have been so miserable to have like, we used to travel so much before COVID, but I used to have little bags in my eyes. I can't imagine being a miserable lawyer who keeps his shirt on all day long. Can't like vent out the frustration and constantly go or waiting to hoping to be part of work somewhere. Like, junior partner 20 years later oh god i yeah i think i dodged a bullet i think yeah you definitely did and the world's better off for it <laughs> we didn't need uh, nick nemeth uh, attorney at law that, that that's for that's for sure uh so so you get this wwe tryout you go through this entire crazy developmental ringer you're in like the um you know in in um I think it was ovw back cl- closer to where you grew up uh and I have to say, the WWE initially saddled you with like the shittiest gimmicks. <laughs> it was, it was like that. I mean, just getting to normal or average after the the past that I've had, I feel like is a win. But it's yeah, I came in as as uh, Chavo Guerrero playing an alter ego's caddy to manage him and a cheerleader. And I go, I go, I played every sport there is. They used to tell me uh, when I was in Ohio Valley Wrestling, they're like. We really like that you're a clean cut kid. You work hard. You did all these sports. You're good at wrestling. We're thinking about bringing you in maybe with uh, Kurt Angle. And I go, whoa, I go, that, that's like my hero because he like caught on so well. There's a reason a smaller guy like me got a tryout. And they're like, that's it. You're coming up. You're going to be a golf caddy. And I go, what? Like, uh, and it's just year, year at that and the cheerleader stuff. And then cut to two years later. And I'm like in the ring with Cena we're fighting and I'm just a, a no longer a guy, but you're still getting Nikki chance as a cheerleader. And it's like, I'm fighting uphill no matter what already, but I feel like all those things made me work so much harder to be better at my job so that people would forget about it. So I guess it helped in the, in the long run. Well, that's a really good attitude about it, man, because I, they did not do you any favors. <laughs> I, didn't <laughs> I didn't have that attitude then just so you know. <laughs> uh, so so in addition to being literally like a championship level college wrestler at kent state like what other sports did you play um i until college i played everything uh football baseball i bowled on the weekends i love bowling uh 
but uh, everything kind of but soccer. I played like uh, intramural hockey. Uh, I did everything that we could offer. I just, even now, I, I'm very active. Uh, I don't sleep a bunch. I love sports. I love doing things. Uh, I just, I played everything. How about you? What did you do? I, this is gonna uh, be just right. you know this is gonna be a half interview of you also so this is interesting. I know I, I mean I no I sure I mean I'm happy to share my my vaunted athletic background <laughs> next to like the. <laughs> I mean, but for me, I was like the, uh, I, I was the nerdy Asian kid who skipped a grade. So I was always like smaller and scrawnier. I, uh, Same, except I, for skipping you know, a grade, obviously. So I, I did wrestle uh, terribly for like a year, uh, like in eighth or ninth grade. And like, I, I, I think I, my record was literally something like one in eight. Did you go like, in? Um, I think I did get a win in there. Yeah. Like, I, uh, I, <laughs> like, like, I mean, it, it was like buried in so many losses that this was like, Sorry. this is not the sport for you. Um, and then, uh, you know, I played high school tennis and, uh, like, uh, like intramural basketball. So it's pretty low level shit. I just got, I just tried it like two years ago with uh, a fellow wrestler, Cesaro, who is, the strongest, uh, smartest yeah, guy. Sure. You know? And we played, we were in uh, the Middle East and we played for a half an hour and we were drenched and he was taking it easy on me. And I go, one of us is going to have to say we have to stop at some point, but we both refused to. And then luckily he had some mercy on me. He's like, hey, we'll play one more point. But it was like 120 degrees running back and forth and he was taking it easy. And I go, I don't know how people play this game for an hour. Like no way in real life. Like that's intense. Well, for, for me, it actually kicked in a little bit older. Uh, you know, I started doing martial arts in my teens and uh, college years and then competed a bit in that. Um, also lost more than I won. <laughs> so uh, I was like the, the, the guy who like other people like pad their records against. Uh, that was you were building character. So, yeah, that, that was my equivalent of getting uh, <laughs> of having some adversity to to fight through. Um, so. So, uh, so you become this, uh, this star almost against all odds, in my opinion. Uh, and I have to say as a fan, like your talent level really did shine through, uh, and someone gave you the highest compliment I can think of, which is they called you the second coming of Kurt Hennig. Uh, and like Mr. Perfect was one of, one of, you know, the, the people that, um, I admired a ton, uh, growing up. And I, it's really a pretty good description, man, because you're just so athletic, uh, you tell such good stories in the ring. You can make anyone look good. Uh, it's and so even though they they made it hard for you, I feel like this was like a an example of um, talent rising to the top. Uh, I I think I guess so because so I didn't know how this works. I didn't have uh, I wasn't a legacy. I didn't have someone in the business. I showed up and just didn't know except that I loved it and wanted to do it. And I thought after I was a caddy and they sent me back, I thought I was fired and it was over and I didn't have another chance. And then I became a cheerleader and then they sent us back and I go, okay, this time I'm fired. Nobody gets three chances. I go, but if I do get a third chance, I want them to have no excuse, but to be begging me to be on their show. So I just, and I had been working hard, like above and beyond to catch up to everybody. So I didn't work the independence. I was just a fan. So I was every day I was trying to go, I was trying to get three years of training into six months. And I go, I want to give them every excuse that they're begging for me to be in this ring and I, I did, I, I watched, I was a big Mr. Perfect guy because he was also a wrestler and did the old Minnesota, like AWA, 
like real wrestling that transpired into this. And also he knew to put on a big show. And I was like, uh, at the time, our business, when I was brand new into 2004, 2005, we're doing the, we were still going wrestling big and, you know, the way I was taught and trained to like have everybody in all four corners of the arena, see what you're doing. And then a year into my training, which I was going insane for, they're like, now it's reality based. Don't do any of that shit you've been doing that you've been burning into my brain. I was like, Oh God. So then I always had the, I can shoot as we call and like make some things real, but also I can make things bigger and have a show of it. So that combination, much like Mr. Perfect was, uh, I mean, what great company to be compared to. So. Well, you, you earned it, man. You earned it the hard way. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Why let big tech companies see everything you're doing online when you can just use ExpressVPN and then be footloose and fancy free? Plus, you get access to exclusive content by beaming in to another market. What do I mean? Let's say you have Netflix and you missed the show Snowpiercer. By the way, I loved that movie. And you want to watch the TV series, not available in the US on Netflix, but if you beam into the UK or someplace else, then there's Snowpiercer on your Netflix. See how it works? This is a way you can get more from what you're already spending on streamers, plus totally anonymous online, plus you can do it by pushing one button anywhere you are. It's why I love ExpressVPN. It's like a set it and forget it. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com yang. Don't forget to use my link at expressvpn.com yang to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. There's so many things like you seem like the picture of health, uh, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> but I, I feel like you all put your bodies through so much, particularly with the road schedule. I mean, now with COVID, uh, your schedule, I'd imagine, is uh, completely different in that it's once a week you go into the Thunderdome. Crazy. Uh, yeah. it, it's uh, oh, 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 please, please. Keep no, but before but in, in normal times, it was more like uh several house shows a week some televised some not on the road what four days a week i'd imagine uh and a as someone who's uh traveled a lot it's like not great on your body uh, to constantly be in a car <laughs> or playing, right. a bus uh, or playing the car getting choke slammed four nights a week like yeah all that adds up and uh no i've had the craziest i i loved it we had the craziest non-stop schedule every year we were adding shows and I sometimes, before we did drafts and brands, I was sometimes doing Friday live event for, for the Raw brand. And then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we do Raw. Tuesday, we would do SmackDown. And then I'd come home on Wednesday and Friday, I was back out or sometimes Thursday out of Red Eye because I was kind of West Coast. So I did that nonstop travel for eight years in a row. And then now it's one day a week. I feel like I'm on vacation and I don't even work there anymore. It's crazy. I'm at... My, I've, um, at my house, I'm like, oh, okay, I get what this looks like. I know which side my gas tank is on in my car. Like all these crazy things that, uh, but the travel, sitting in a car, sitting on a plane, falling down a bunch, 
it, it takes a toll on you, but I, I've been very lucky, uh, except for one or two concussions, uh, no surgeries, no crazy uh, injuries. Um, I work out hard. I, I'm very active. I, uh, on most of our off days at home, I'm doing two workouts a day just to kill the hours and let them go by. So I'm, I think I'm in like better shape now than I was a few years ago. Um, and also I can work smart and hard at the same time, which is a little bit of a trick. So for you, you being on the road so much and then this conversion, I feel like this must be opening up all new parts of your, yeah, your life or your brain or, 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 uh, or I'm thinking actually also like a, a different, um, set of relationships because like all of a sudden instead of being on the road four or five days a week like you know now it's like hey i'm in one place i kind of know where i'm gonna be next tuesday like that's different <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's it's wild yeah it really is it's totally different and uh it, it's funny because like with covid with people being shut down it's a lot of people breaking up with their girlfriends or losing friends or something like that because everyone's isolated or have to stay away or stuck with somebody and I'm used to doing my own thing, which is weird, but like waking up and not having an alarm for 3.45 a.m. and going, oh, right, I have 20 hours to go work out and then eat whatever I want, like this is the best. But it's, it's, no, it's really, it's weird. It is the opposite of my schedule for the last 10 years. So it's weird, but it's, it's good to, to mix it up and, and get a change like this. I'm lucky I'm not one of the 100 million people out of work right now, somehow we are able to keep going and, and keep doing shows. So like, I'm very lucky, but also I'm bored a little bit. Well, uh, and you, you probably saw some of the stuff that came up in social media and whatnot. Um, but I have to ask you about WWE's, um, I, they had a recent stance about working on Twitch and Cameo. Like you, you're actually an independent figure where you're working as a comedian, which I want to talk a lot about because I think there's a fascinating nexus between wrestling and comedy and politics, honestly. Like, I, I genuinely think that there, there's like a lot of overlap there. Um, but and I'm on the record saying that I think that the WWE treating you all as independent contractors uh, does not make sense. It doesn't jive with reality, uh, given the demanding nature of your schedules, how much control they have over your activities. I, someone actually sent me a WWE contract. And I was like, wow, is this thing very, very heavy in terms of like, uh, this thick? Oh yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, there's a lot in there if you read it all. Oh yeah. If I were to summarize, it's like, Hey, we have control over just about anything you do that like you appear in, in any form of media that exists or could ever exist. (laughs) Uh, so, so like the, the control is to, to me is very high. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm on the record saying that like, like the independent contractor classification does not make sense given the degree of control. Uh, and, and also the, the, um, like the, the level to which WWE is benefiting. Um, now in your case, you're like a very, very high level performer. You've succeeded there, uh, you know, and have like a very, very long track record. Um, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want. But like, do you have any thoughts on WWE's uh, classification of performers? Yeah, and it's it, it, it's a gray area because uh, for ten years I've gone back and forth. I'm like, how does this make sense? But I, I see some points here and there. So, I, and I, as much as I like to stick it to the man, you know, I'm a bad boy like you. I don't wear the tie always, but it's 
there, there are some points I, that I, I know would be mad at me that they make because we, I, I am representing that company even when I go do a comedy show or go on Fox News to do something. So if I'm doing something on the outside, I'm still representing them a, a little bit. You have to think in the back of your head. So, um, and then long-term when it comes to maybe me getting, uh, I'm, I'm making this up, a muscle milk deal or something. So if I did that, theoretically it is because of WWE that someone knows me, possibly, but also you could, I mean, you see me on Instagram, shirtless, yeah, I'm still the real deal, so it's fine. But if, <laughs> if, if, uh, if, if they wanted to come to me with a deal, they go, hey, we'll give you a, a, a couple hundred bucks and all the muscle milk you can drink. And it's like, it's almost a Kramer coffee uh, episode of Seinfeld. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. And they're like, well, WWE behind the scenes was working on a $5 million deal with muscle milk. And I just kind of ruined it because I kind of cheapened myself out. So there's a little bit of both sides. We have to understand you're still working for a brand, even though I, I heard you on Chris Van Vliet's show, like where it's like Disney can't own a, a character that worked in their movie and is going to do something else. But uh for the most part, even though that paperwork is this thick, um, as long as it's not bad mouthing the company or that you work for and a couple other things, you get more and more leeway and that paperwork is there, I think, to protect them, whether you think it's fair or not, which I understand. Uh, but I also, after a while you ask and sometimes you get told that it wouldn't be great for the company to do this, but you can make your own decision. But I've also, it took me 12 years of doing things and uh, being sent to other countries on a PR tour to go, they can trust me to go do something else. So I get both sides of that, but also when it comes to independent contractors, should maybe be able to wear whatever the hell we want, do what we want. And just as long as we're there on Monday to do the match, you know what I mean? I get that. Uh, but also uh, you have to remember, like you're, you're representing the DNC sometimes, you know what I mean? And you can, and you, which I'm a fan of yours, I'm a huge fan because you're transparent about things. You don't just go, Nancy Pelosi told me to say this, so I'm saying it, and we got this in our notes today. You go, well, actually, here's the good part, and here's the bad part. And, and being able to do that is not only refreshing, but I try and do the same thing. I'm like, well, here's the good part, here's the bad part. But at the end of the day, if you want to be in the cabinet or if you want to be president, you have to be a part of their team somewhat, which I'm, I'm guessing, but I'm assuming that's the case. So... I see both. No, no, I think there are some real parallels there. And certainly appreciate the fact that you've been part of this company that, um, you know, you developed like an incredible, uh, success, incredibly successful uh, working relationship with for, for years. Uh, and I admire the fact that you've gotten it to a point where you are branching out and doing all of these things that are clearly just born of you that are like 100% Nick. Because um, I'm sure, because you know, I'm, I'm sure WWE was not like, hey, Nick, uh, you should do, you should study comedy for years and years and then go out there and like open mic it up. Like, <laughs> like I, I doubt that was high on their list. Uh, so, so tell me about how that developed, because I love it. I love the fact that, um, that you've taken up another crab, despite being at the top of your field. Uh, and take and and gone to another field that is brutally difficult, very unforgiving. Like there's no faking it. Uh, you know your your fame uh, and the built up affection that some of the people in the audience have for you lasts for approximately two seconds. <laughs> and then it's like, hey, if you can't make me laugh, then fuck you. So like, uh, so so how the heck did you did you start pushing in that direction? 
Uh, okay, there's a couple pieces there. One, it's very similar to wrestling, which is wild. Like it's you, know, you on the road, you travel, you but with wrestling, there's someone else in the ring that you can blame or play off of or something. But no matter what, when you go up on that stage, I am still nervous. I'm at like, I don't know, 50 or 60 shows I've done, something like that. And I go up there and I have a whiskey beforehand and I go up there and I'm like nervous. And you go, and all of a sudden you just see all these eyes on you. And if, it, if it's a wrestling ring, I'm 15 years in, I go, I know what I can do. We can get them back with something here. But if I go up there and stutter or miss a line and go talk over a word and they're just staring there like this, like, you're really good at wrestling. Why, why does this suck? And you're like, Oh God. But, um, I also, so I, I kind of found like a loophole to where I get to try out my material, but also wrestling fans get to come and get their autographs or a picture with me or something, but then they have, to, I do it beforehand and then they have to sit through the show to deal with me. working <laughs> the material. So, but I'm also smart enough. I go, I know there's going to be a bunch of hardcore wrestling fans at my show. So I usually try and do a formula of like 20%, you read the internet, you know the rumors, little, little Brock Lesnar dig about him not showing up or some kind of joke for the hardcore fans. And then there's like 20% more of like, they know who The Rock, John Cena, and Hulk Hogan is. And I'll be like, yeah, if the show sucked tonight, just tell them I was John Cena or whatever, and that's all you need to know. And then I go, there's like comedy fans and people who just came to a show, and it's I, about 60% I do just – me going to Chipotle, me wrestling in college, me on Tinder or Bumble or something, and at least whatever happens to me. So I find a, a happy medium, and then uh, I'm very lucky that we could do um, – because uh, at first I couldn't do – I'm headlining. I can't do an hour. No way in hell. And uh, we found a way to Sarah Tiana, who is a pro comic and really funny, to where she went up ahead of me. She kills for 20 minutes. I would do 20 or 25 minutes and then we would do a Q and a back and forth where we roast each other. We actually went on comedy central and did like a roast battle where we would roast each other, but also yeah, I, I, I saw that. that. It, it was, was pretty, pretty funny. funny. That was like, fun. I, I like, like uh, God, it was great. Did you got, no, it was great. And you guys have great chemistry. You guys clearly are close friends. Um, I, it's, it's awesome. You found a partner in comedy crime. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Just putting, putting jokes online and fans who are in some kind of entertainment with that's, I just met Sarah walking into the comedy store in LA, just watching shows. And we talked and she, and then we became friends and then we became friends to where we can kind of roast each other nonstop. And then now we have like this brother sister thing where we just roast each other the entire time. And it's fans like it's the, the best part of the comedy show because we're just riffing and having fun. And I'm not looking at my notes and sweating and trying to think of a punchline. I'm just, we're just going to go with it. And it's, it's worked out really well. It's awesome. We've, we've had so much fun with it. Again, so impressive. Like, you know, the, the thing I love about it is that you clearly have such like a perpetual growth mindset because like very, very few people who are at the top of uh, the, the wrestling field getting like paid a lot of money would be like, you know, I'm going to do this other thing that <laughs> is going to be really difficult. It's going to be really and, difficult too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, and not exactly like throwing money at me in the same way um, and the rest of it. And, and, the, and the fact that you would line it up with your wrestling events, like it just shows the love, you know, it's really impressive to me. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I love that. And I, and I want to be good at it. And I don't, I, I don't want to do the, we know you from wrestling. Hi. And, and they're already smiling when you walk out. I don't, and just tell some wrestling story or something because one day I mean, people do that. And one day that could be a thing, but I go, I'm actually trying to be a comic 
So I'm working on material. So I'll stick in some stories so you guys stay in the seats and come to the show. But I am actually trying a setup and a punchline and I've seen it, no response. And then the sweat just starts pouring down your face. You're like, <laughs> anyway, uh, I was beating up John Cena the other day and then they wake back up. And like, God, you know? <laughs> uh, so you've also branched out into... Um, uh, various TV roles and, and film, you know, uh, just to return to something really quickly. Um, uh, the, one of the ideas out there was for wrestlers to join the Screen Actors Guild, particularly now when it seems like the vast majority of the activity is actually like on TV, because it used to be, you know, you're doing like 80% of stuff, not, you know, people aren't seeing, but now it's, it really is very much like you're all showing up for a TV program. Um, but it seems like you have aspirations in a number of different directions. Uh, and you seem like a, the kind of person who's very, very goal oriented. Like what is a goal that you're pushing for either in wrestling or in comedy or uh, outside of those two? Uh, it's, it's a little bit of everything. I, I, I pride myself. I, even when I just used to play sports and want to be on Saturday Night Live as a kid, it's, it, it, I am really goal oriented. And every day, even to like, I'm going to have pizza on Thursday. So let's get a second workout in on Wednesday. And if you don't get it done, you're not going to get the pizza. Like I even do that every week. So I, I do have the goals. And I, I, this year until COVID hit, we were, I was going to double the most amount of shows I had ever done in a year. We just announced a bunch of different things. And I was going to double those shows. And I'm not a fantastic comedian, but I'm okay. And I'm learning and getting the reps in. And I really wanted to double those shows this year. And, and uh, I'm kind of half and half between Phoenix and LA. And I was going to start getting a couple different, working on some TV and movie stuff. And uh, right now, most things are shut down. But the goals are to use, to, to, that I can be used for a funny political analyst in the back pocket, technically a comedian, technically a TV show guy. I, I did a movie, a WWE Studios movie, Countdown, which was really bad, but I was pretty decent in it. And, and to have all these, and the wrestling and all these things in my back pocket to where, just like when I was getting called up that last time and didn't want to get fired, to where I go, here's every option. I am a modern day renaissance man what would you like me to help you with this TV show, this YouTube show, this comedy tour, and to have everything in my back pocket to where much like, you know, hoping WWE has no option, but to put me on TV, much like LA has no option, but to take me for something or meet for a pitch meeting because of all this stuff that, you know, so it's just, it is those goals every day and hitting them. Wow. Modern day Renaissance, man, Nick, like you, you genuinely resemble that. It's, <laughs> it's kind it's kind of awesome. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy in that I knew if you're going to spend eight hours doing something, you should probably invest in doing it right. That's why I love Helix Sleep, which will send a mattress to your door that's made just for you. You take the Helix Sleep quiz and you get matched with a mattress based upon whether you want it to be soft, medium, firm, how you sleep, other variables, and then voila, it gets sent to your door and you can try it for up to 100 nights 
and send it back. They have a 10 plus year warranty because they believe in their product so much. I do too, my kids do too. They actually seek out this mattress even though it was designed not for them. <laughs> That's how good this product is. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple chiropractors and doctors because they think it'll make you healthier. Don't take my word for it. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So you threw, uh, you threw political commentator in there, and I appreciated the fact that uh, you know recently on social media you started engaging politically. You were like, "Look, this stuff's kind of important." Like, <laughs> I, I, I know some of you might not love everything, but let's like actually talk things out and like uh, you know be reasonable human beings, which you know I completely agree with. Yes, uh, but it's so difficult to get. Like even people who agree with you, if you just like, here's this point. And even people would agree like, yeah, cause those cry baby lives blew it. It's like, no, 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 listen, man. Like this one point is good. And then tomorrow Trump's gonna have a middle, piece, middle East peace deal that's you kind of gotta say is okay. You can't just say it's bad, you know what I mean? And it's so like, and uh, even if someone agrees with me with like just rhetoric or negative get the hell out of here let's all talk go yell at everybody else go yell at trump's twitter feed if, if you're here we're all going to engage in some talking and uh i took a little break because it was really hard to have a conversation and i and i i have no hard feelings like i have a heart of stone i don't give a damn about anything what anyone says about me if it's a good if you zing me or make fun of me in a good way like go lose some more matches or something I, you get me i get it it's funny uh but i want it to be good and entertaining and i want it to be I want both, well, there should be more than two sides, but that's a whole other conversation, but I want it to be human beings engaging and not just being so mad that they want to go out in the streets or wish death on somebody talking about politics. I, I certainly appreciated uh, your openness and the fact that you looked at it and, and said, uh, hey guys, like, you know, we can agree on, uh, some things disagree on others. Like this is one thing that you have to say, and arguably, like you know, like that was pretty good. Uh, and, <laughs> and what you just said about a third party, um, I don't disagree that we need a different level of dynamism in our political system. Uh, that right now the duopoly is not great for any. I hate the damn duopoly. I hate it. The, the, uh, well, even as the numbers guy, uh, I think the last numbers I saw, 30% of Americans self-identified as Democrats, maybe 25% Republicans, and then 40% independents. And so you look up and say, well, that's quite a quite a great deal of people that self-identify as independents. Uh, and then when it comes to this sort of election, everyone's like, well, you got these two choices. And you're like, uh, <laughs> like, is it like... How, how quite did this happen uh, uh, again? Um, so to, to me, the path forward um, is to have ranked choice voting so that they're just different points of view reflected and you don't have anyone bullying anyone saying like, can't waste your vote, can't waste your vote. Now, like it, in this circumstance, I, I'm like, you know, everyone knows I'm for Joe and Kamala and I, I think Trump needs to go. 
Um, but I, I also think that the, the fact that we have, um, we have so many Americans who are just like, oh, like, you know, I, I feel like um, my vote doesn't matter because by the time it gets to me, I'm like choosing between uh, people that I would not have chosen um, is not good for democracy. It's not good for the country. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's the funniest thing. It's like 2016. Everyone goes, I don't like either one of these two. And then they would, I was, I was doing some political homework then. And they'd be like, ah, but I might try Trump. I don't know. We'll see. And then now it's, I can't stand these two old rich white guys, but they're going to vote. They're going to vote for them and march in the streets to like announce their votes. And I, that blows my mind because everyone goes, you, you can pick whoever you want, whatever. Like, no, we get told there's two to pick from and we get told how bad they are every day and then go, well, it's like that Simpsons episode where it's like, uh, the two monsters, space monsters come and land. And he goes, we got to pick from one of us. One of us is a Republican and one's Democrat. And he goes, I'm going to vote third party. And he goes, go ahead, throw your vote away. And it's like, and then the next, they're all enslaved in camps. And it's like, it's the monsters rule the world. And it's, it's so heartbreaking because I know that there's a lot of similarities on both sides to where that is that, that middle ground, that 40% of people who want something else, but tend to agree with 95% of everything on the sides and all day long we bitch and find these straw men of like this fringe right or fringe left that we can go see they're all just like that and you know and it's 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 disheartening because I've been around a little bit and I've seen things happen and I kind of know that it's a show and a game and you're getting things done and you're going back and forth but young kids today who are online all the time think that Twitter is real and this is how it goes and this is life. And one, it's not accurate. That's like 5% of the world is on Twitter and everyone else is doing real life things. And if you just go, I'm so mad at Ben Shapiro right now. And you go outside and you're like, he has nothing to do with you gardening in your backyard. And it's, which by the way, I, I loved you on Ben Shapiro's show. I, uh, very few people will talk to him, which is sad, but you guys, uh, fantastic. Uh, I love that back and forth, different points of view and you talked like gentlemen and made some great points. People should do that every single day, I think. You made so many excellent observations in there. It's almost like you're you're a comedian. <laughs> it's like they, but but, but uh, social media turning us against each other, hundred uh, percent. That that's happening. Um, people like internalizing things and like trying to mischaracterize like you know, an entire set of millions of people based upon like, you know, one obnoxious person like that, that definitely happens. Uh, but one of the things that I think you bring to the table um, that has been true for other folks who are in either, well, generally comedy, because I hang out with a lot of comedians. Um, it's that if you go and travel you around the country, if you're going to name drop Chappelle, that's fine. Let's just might as well get it out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if you go near Ohio, man, um, you know, back to your, your home stomping guns. So, uh, but like folks who have to interact with groups of Americans in real life, in different parts of the country, uh, in bars, clubs, wrestling arenas, autograph sessions, it's like you have a very different sense of this country and of human beings than uh, just like turning on TV and being like, oh, these people, that people. Because like you've actually met thousands and thousands of people uh in uh you know in in their everyday lives and and then the caricatures don't really stand up 
mean, certainly I had that experience running because like I met, I met thousands and thousands of people. That had um, in, in, shocked in, like you. Yeah, you. I mean, I'm somewhat, I've been around some people and fans and stuff, but you just like uh, two years ago, like how does that, you all of a sudden know 5 million people and you go, oh, right. People are for the most part decent and want the same thing and want to have a conversation. And how cool is it that people want to shake your hand back when you were allowed to shake hands? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm happy to say, Nick, that I kind of assumed that most people were uh, pretty reasonable and just wanted the best things for themselves and their family. So it wasn't like when I went out of the country, I discovered it was more like I confirmed um, what I already knew because uh, I, I grew up in a town and like I remember the kids I grew up with and like, you know, it's like. Did we do some dumb shit that, you know, like if you were to paint it now in like social media, like, you know, like, uh, like, would it look terrible? Sure. <laughs> like, are, are those people, uh, are, are those people um, somehow terrible human beings? Of course not. Like, you know, we're just like, we're like, um, you know, fucking teenage idiots. Like, <laughs> it was a different time. And we were lucky to have that non-social media world and non-camera world. And you have to do stupid stuff as a kid. And then the point is, you grow and then everybody wins. I, and sometimes I feel that people don't want you to grow. They want to make an example of something uh, and go, oh, you didn't atone for this properly, this thing you did 20 years ago. And you go, ah, it sucks. Um, but I did, I'm talking to you right now. Doesn't this count as me growing? <laughs> like, nope, yeah, okay. I, again, people are so much more reasonable in person than online. It's like, like if, if you just stick two people in a room, it's like they would not say ninety percent of like the nasty things that they'll like put in a social media post. That's just not the way people yeah. are. They they, they interact. Um, so Nancy and Trump in a back room are laughing and cheersing. Like she's got a little a little glass of wine and he's got a little diet coke, and they're like, yeah, anyway, we'll get back to yelling at each other in public in a minute. But let's take a break. Well, I've certainly been on on media um uh like shows where the commentator will be very different to me as soon as like the camera stops rolling and then oh, like God. when the camera comes on then you know it's, it's like we've got roles to play <laughs> and, and and as someone who was relatively new to that i was like well this is bizarre <laughs> you, know, <laughs> like, you forget like, like you're on a tv show and that person is maybe playing a character so so he can get another 18 to 49, 5,000 people to watch on their uh, punch in on their Nielsen ratings or something. But like, and then as soon as it's off, it's like, oh, hey, great points, man. That was really cool. You're like, you couldn't say that on TV? I look like a jerk. <laughs> yeah. So, so I want to think about like the major overlaps uh, in terms of, American history between pro wrestling, politics, and comedy. So let's think about this. Um, you'd have to put at the top of the list Donald Trump because he was literally like a WWE character, uh, TV star, massive entertainer. entertainer. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer, like he and Vince are. He's like, a Hall of Famer, yeah. That's so uh, funny. And, 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 you know, he was clearly like a TV star, and then he ran for president and, and won. Um so that's that's certainly the top of the list of the overlaps. Um, I I'd say second on the list would be Jesse Ventura because he's like a high level wrestler. I grew up with uh, you know him on t on TV and then he becomes governor of Minnesota. 
uh, and uh, it, you know is uh, I think still um, campaigning for various things. Right. Uh, uh, so so that that would be second on my list. I'm thinking about who who number three would be of like the nexus uh, between politics, wrestling, and comedy. Has a comedian run and uh, oh you also from Minnesota? I do not know if this is a coincidence. Al Franken. I was going to say Franken. He's a high school wrestler, too. Um, I did not know he was a high school wrestler. Yes. I, well, I don't know. I tend to – so I, I, I read a bunch, which I don't know if that's popular these days. But you, you're a numbers guy. You know everything. But uh, Franken – so I'm gonna, I love Saturday Night Live my whole life. I read that he, he was uh, – and he was getting into politics, and I was excited to read his books. And I remember he – I hope I get this right – he wrestled in high school and was pretty decent. And also something along the lines, I think his brother was going to be drafted and he helped him cut weight like he would for wrestling to get down below a certain number. So he wouldn't be drafted into the war, which is amazing because he knew how to do that from high school wrestling, which is, it's a wild story, but also he was someone who's really smart and was doing political jokes on Saturday Night Live when half the crowd didn't get him or they did. And, and uh, of course him like taking comedy and being known but also being a smart guy and making it into a somewhat i think jesse ventura's was more of a grassroots movement of getting through uh with so many people but when you when you want positive things done and you have a little bit of that star power you can you can embrace into it and be that character or go or have some fun with it and then also you're like yeah but uh this wetlands needs to be protected they're like okay yeah whatever you say ventura and i can yeah. Checked it off. Like, oh, we got it done? Like, I thought it was hard, you know? Oh, um, as someone who ran for president, uh, <laughs> I can attest to the fact. <laughs> How wild is that? Can... That's amazing. Uh, you know, you get used to it eventually. Um, though, though it is still kind of a joke, like, because you could say it and it's funny. Like, it's, you know, it, it's always, always good for a laugh. Um, yeah, in a positive but, way. But, uh, yeah, in, oh, yeah. In a po- I mean, you know, it's like, it's like uh, I think everyone um, I think everyone loves like, you know, different qualities about the run where like part of it, part of its appeal was the implausibility, I think. <laughs> like, 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 there was like that, that sense of it. Um, no, we showed them, fuckers. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but as someone who ran for president, I can attest to the fact that a lot of the time what's happening is there's a fundraising dinner, not not like a bullshit fundraising dinner for yourself, but those two, um, or a group of activists gather, uh, or a town hall, and then they're like, and this person now is going to tell you what they think for an hour and take questions and they have to uh they have to inspire but also entertain and engage uh and command the room uh and have a a sense of uh both theater and uplift and i did that hundreds maybe even thousands of times uh over like the, the last couple of years so if you think about that skill set or that situation uh both pro wrestlers and comedians are put in those kinds of positions also hundreds and hundreds of times where it's like, here's a group of people, here's a microphone or, you know, uh, or 
and actually for wrestlers too, it's a microphone because half the time you just go out and you cut a promo. Um, and, and so the parallels among these three things to me are actually very, very, very high when you get into the nuts and bolts of what the activities look like. Um, and the, there was one story I'll tell where uh, Jim Clyburn has all of the candidates down for uh, fish fry in South Carolina. Um, and Jim Clyburn, you know, most powerful guy in South Carolina is the, like the, one of the primary reasons why Joe's um, the nominee uh, today. And so everyone's there. Literally, they're like, and this is a time when there are still 20 presidential candidates in the field. So it's me, Joe, Bernie, like Warren, Beto, like you name it. Everyone's there. Uh, Marianne was there too. Uh, I, I love Marianne. Uh, Marianne and I are dear, dear, dear friends. Yeah, she's great. Um, and because it's the Clyburn Fish Fry, we all have purple T-shirts on that say Clyburn Fish Fry, and uh, and like there's zero like uh, resistance from anyone. It's like sure, give me the purple T-shirt. So we're all like standing there. Um, it's eighty something degrees, uh, and they, the instructions to you are. Uh, you're going to go out to this crowd of hundreds of people here in South Carolina at this fish fry and you have 60 seconds uh, because there are 20 of you and we cannot actually give you any significant amount of time. So <laughs> so, so, so th- that is the situation. It's like you have 60 seconds to like, you know, thrill these hundreds of people go. Um, and, and I shit you not, Nick, I essentially cut a wrestling promo. <laughs> like like I, 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 I want... That sound bite, get their ears, and you go uh, because Andrew Yang said so, and then you throw the mic down and you walk out of there. Yeah, I think that this uh, this video is probably available online, so if anyone's uh, uh, like into it, they can go find like the video. <laughs> but it was like, like uh, it was, um, uh, you know, I think I got introduced as like the leader of the Yang Gang, yes. and I went out and was like, <laughs> was like this, and like I had enough fans there <laughs> where there were people cheering, and I got this thing. <laughs> And then I walked back to, to the the uh, scrum where like every can and like I, I kid you not I think um, like uh, at least one candidate mouth like like what the hell was that? <laughs> like what the hell did I just see or <laughs> something like that like it was the whole thing was uh funny um what like my campaign manager was in the pen so he said like that like uh that that Joe Biden was like that was really good <laughs> to like know it in particular where you know they're, they're around. So, so I'm, I'm telling this story just to say that I genuinely think that the skills of a professional wrestler would lend themselves very, very well, or a comedian, because a comedian's put in a similar, similar boat. Um, and one of your former colleagues, uh, The Rock, you know, always gets talked about in this context as a presidential candidate and whatnot. Uh, like, so present company accepted because I think you genuinely could do whatever you wanted. And if you decided to run for like a uh, high office in a- Arizona, like, you know, I would not bet against you. You'd like, uh, you know, so, um, so, uh, of the folks that, you know, like, uh, your first just observation about like the parallels. And then, uh, is there anyone, you know, in the field where you think, Oh, that person's going to end up, uh, doing like you did either branch into comedy or politics like from uh, from your you know like gajillions of interactions with various folks uh yeah you see so like i mean of course like I, we're lucky guys like the rock come back sometimes and they're so gracious it's it's unreal like no cameras around or anything like just genuine guy 
so friggin' great. But also, I'm not fighting him for a spot for the Intercontinental title, so I'm sure he might have had a different attitude at one other time. But uh, it is so great to have that and see that and then know that the biggest star in the world came from the company I'm working at. I think that's friggin' mind-blowing. Uh, but you see that, I, and for, I know you, you probably think I just kind of got into talking politics a little bit ago, but uh, I studied political science at Kent, and I, like, the whole plan was to be a lawyer and then go on Saturday Night Live, fight in the UFC, and then become uh, president of the United States. But now I kind of want to do it just so the next time we have this podcast, I can get, as someone who ran for president, and then I can set you up for a question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I have the, the people who work really hard, uh, I tend to gravitate toward them backstage. And two of my friends, uh, Zach Ryder, who's Matt Cardona uh, with AEW sometimes now, and uh, The Miz and John Morrison, the, the four of us, we became friends just because we were always trying to do some other thing. Uh, 10 years ago, Zack Ryder was trying to get a YouTube show going before we were even using YouTube for WWE, let alone the billion subscribers we have now or whatever, just so he could use that and have a chance at getting something going on TV. And he was always going above and beyond. And we can say that like, hey man, I came in, I pitched, I did all my things, but it's out of my hands now. And he was going above and beyond to film these videos. And then someone like The Miz, who is constantly pitching other places to go do a show, to be an appearance, to go do anything and always saying yes, to get his foot in the door or something else, just to make himself more affable, more of a star in WWE, just to be more valuable. And John Morrison, same thing. He did movies, TV's always doing different uh, ideas. And it's those people who want more constantly and like you you've been very kind to me like oh i'm i'm i feel like i'm really good at wrestling i got it i i want to keep i want to apply that to comedy and i'm going to need 15 years to be good at it but i'm at year four or whatever and i it's just you want to keep going and setting those goals and we've just gravitated toward each other uh the miz and myself grew up like seven minutes apart i never saw i never saw him one time we're the same age same grade never saw him once in my life but at WWE, we started gravitating toward each other because of our love for the Cleveland Browns and watching them lose every week. But also, it was for – they won last night. It's a big deal. Uh, but also constantly moving forward and going, hey, I bet if I did this thing, I could get my foot in the door here. And then WWE would have a, a 1% bigger star, and I could use this. And, and, it's just, and it's not in a bad way, like jumping off point to get the hell out of here. It's – to make the company better. And that mindset, you don't have to have it, but having it makes uh, all of us just want to want to get better and want to make the company better, want to leave it better when you leave, want to set a better example for everybody else and say, hey, you can do so many other things. And uh, it's just, it's exciting. I, I probably all worked out, but I was like, those guys are my friends because we all want to be awesome at this. And I, I think that's so cool. So I am thrilled that you think you might want to engage in politics uh, at, at some point because you'd be tremendous, man. I mean, I, I kid you not, like you have so much of what uh, people would be dying to see uh, in um, someone who runs for office. Um, and I loved your original set of ambitions. It was uh, UFC, uh, SNL. Um, White House. Uh, I mean, the, uh, <laughs> Mr. Barker goes, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I'm 17. You know, 
UFC, use it to get on a Saturday Night Live, and then uh, then become a politician, a wrestler, then politician. Uh, but still, I was pretty close. I got a couple of those in there. So I, I get the sense um, from this conversation that if you were to describe yourself politically, it would be something uh, of an independent where you, you see things uh, um, in a nonpartisan way. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, it's, it, very much so. I go out of my way to do that. Um, I lean a little bit right. Uh, I like lower taxes. I lean a little bit right. Um, I, I, I've done some stuff with uh, Fox and Fox Business and even the people on the left who have been on panels or with me, like they're fantastic. They're so smart. I love it. Uh, but I, I lead a little bit right. And uh, I, I uh, but every issue, I don't just go down the line and go, this is it and put the yard sign out. Like I want to examine every issue. And I feel like what you mentioned earlier, there's that 40% of people who have this don't really totally relate to a party, but we want this general idea and they're not really spoken to as much. And I, I feel like there's that huge middle and I, and I don't want to, I'm an independent because I hate every, the two candidates. That's not the case. I just, I lean right and uh, I want more people to meet in the middle. And I, I am very pro third party, let alone friggin' 20 parties to just to give people some different options, you know? Yeah, I, th I think the path to a third party really is a different voting system, like ranked choice voting, because, you know, it, like it, it's it's a case where the mechanics actually make a world of difference. Like if, if you give people the ability to vote their preference uh, and there's no there's no pressure to, you know, again, like avoid, quote unquote, wasting your vote and the rest of it. Um, uh, and the, the reality is that both party registrations are actually declining over time, you know, like neither Republicans nor Democrats are. Uh, in growth positions uh, in that way. And so to, to me, like, if you're, uh, if you're pro-democracy, but also even if you're pro these parties trying to become more responsive to people and maybe even resuming um, like a growth position, um, then they need to try and engage with different types of people and have different types of ideas. I mean, that, that was one of the reasons why I ran um, is that I thought the Democratic Party could use some new ideas, uh, including universal basic income, which strikes me as not terribly um, left or right. Like it's just we inevitable. To UBI, I was gonna bring it up. Relax, I know, I know the deal. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you, Nick. Look at that. I have like yeah, I can... UBI. Do you think uh, UNAOC in twenty twenty eight? All this stuff. I have all these notes. No, I, I, I think that's that idea shouldn't be, I, I, I don't want to sound this wrong, like it shouldn't be a crazy idea to go, we can't try this thing where you don't trust the government and you're sick of them ruining your money. We can't trust the people with it just one time and see what the hell happens. Like we, 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 we tried out Trump, like we wanted an outsider. Why, it's, your idea should not be a crazy idea when we give, we waste money in the government so much. They mismanagement, mismanage it a lot. And you go, let's give, you, we, you've met all these people. You see that for the most part, they're good. They want to do better. People, some people are going to blow it. Sure. But that's life. You know what I mean? Give them a chance because the government's going to blow most of it anyway. So let's get a shot, you know? Yeah, we just lived it too. And people got this $1,200 stimulus check back in April. And I dare say it was awesome. Like people, people you know, loved it. Yeah, I'm just yeah, yeah, no, people, people like did what they did. Um, but uh, but but from but by the numbers, like you know, it, it worked. Like there was a study that came out afterwards, and it, it made me laugh, Nick. It was like, 
like giving people $1,200 reduced poverty. And I was like, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it really did. <laughs> like great, great work. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, like I, I think, uh, I mean, right now, um, something like 75% of Americans are pro cash relief during the pandemic, including majority of Republicans and Democrats. Like everyone's like, look, this is common sense. Yeah. Everyone's on board with this. It just seems like the elections in coming up. So we all have to fight about if you can get $150 or $450, but nobody wants to lose points politically, which this is that part of the game where it's like, guys, people are going to vote for Trump or Biden, how it's going to go give these people a couple hundred dollars for having to sit at home and shut down their business. Like, come on. Yeah. Completely agree. No one's in the room. Well, there's the people that are the the best uh, toward, toward the like correct approach are like the independent members of Congress right now who are like, look, we're tired of you guys not being able to come to a deal. Like here's like a compromise deal. I think it got um, maybe 40 or 50 members of Congress to back this thing. And if you look at that, what that is, Nick, it's like a, a bunch of people expressing dissatisfaction with Nancy Pelosi and House leadership just taking the stance and then not uh, not moving. They're like, look, like, let's just freaking get something done for the people. So that, that to me is where the vast majority of Americans would be. Yeah, you can't like it's it's I don't think. And if, if you're playing this as a game with people who were forced to close their business down, that's already bad enough. But it's like. We can't let them have a couple hundred dollars because Trump won't look like a dick. Like, okay, like give people the money. Uh, I, I would try to find out who was waiting for the debates or debate or see whatever. Most people are set in their ways. I understand that. But I feel like, and this is a, a question to you, I feel like how do you think – this debate's going to go. What is it? You know, it's in a week or something, right? In, in Cleveland. September, September 29th. Oh, is it Cleveland? Look at that. I didn't even know that. I'm going to be kind of... I don't think I can... I don't think I'm going to get in. I, I mean, I don't even know what their live crowd looks like. Um, yeah, September 29th is the first debate. And it... You know, I actually told a joke, Nick, uh, to, to someone. I was like, imagine how you think this debate's going to go. It's going to go like that. <laughs> Where, oh, well, because it's true. It's like we know who these people are. Like, you know, he's Trump's going to be here. Joe's going to hear that. They're going to do their thing. And, um, you know, and, and very few minds will be changed. Uh, it, you know, I think I saw something that said 7% of Americans are undecided. And I have a hunch that even though 7% actually know how they're going to vote. <laughs> they're, they're just, they just didn't, yeah, they just didn't really say. Yeah, I, I feel like people know. I, as much as... I don't know what I'm going to do because I study all day. I do the homework. I want to watch these debates. Anything that happens, I watch and observe. I know, I know the two people already period. And it's just, I go, I, I want to see is, is Trump going to say a bunch of untruths the entire time? Probably, but also it's politics. Everybody kind of lies the whole time for the most part, but then also is Biden going to be sharp? I don't know. I don't think so. But does that change who you're voting for for president? Because he couldn't as quickly lie as the other guy. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, it's the performances are pretty baked in. Uh, having been on the debate stage with Joe a number of times, like you know, and had and and had a and had a bunch of uh, just informal conversations with him in various environments. Um, he's still. Uh, very sharp and like you know doesn't show any signs of uh 
fatigue even after like hours on stage and whatnot. Like, so uh, I think that, you know, I, I think that these performances aren't going to change a whole heck of a lot personally. Yeah, it, sadly, it won't, it doesn't matter. And people are already voting by the way, I think. So, I mean, some people. Are That's true too. Yeah. Some, some early ballots are out pretty, pretty soon. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I'm not watching so, it to, to roast and zing. I'm like, can you be a little bit more normal, Trump, just for the day? And like, Biden, can you just be zing him back one time or something just so we we know the deal? But I know it's baked in. Everybody knows the deal. People know who they're voting for. Uh, but someone like me who does all this homework is like, what the hell am I supposed to do here? I would have voted for you. <laughs> well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I, no, I appreciate that. Well, so the the homework we have, in my opinion, Nick, uh, is trying to enable greater diversity of viewpoints, uh, and it is to push for like a change in mechanics. So if you have something like ranked choice voting, which really should be nonpartisan, because you're just like, look, let's just let people express their preferences. A lot of people on the left are for it. Ben Shapiro just said uh, he's for it. Like pretty much like no one except for folks who just love the status quo. And who the hell loves the status quo, really? Like, you know, like if you're saying you don't love the status quo. <laughs> so so, is, so if, if 60 and above who do all the voting, I think it's them. They're like, we well, don't want change. I'm old and I don't want anyone messing up. They might, they, money. they might not be for ranked choice voting. It's true. But <laughs> but the rest of us, if, if we get behind ranked choice voting, uh, then you'd see a different uh, approach to politics very, very quickly. I'll give you one example from it, Nick, where if you have ranked choice voting in there, like let's say four candidates in a race, it reduces the incentives to negatively uh, campaign because if you trash someone else, then you both look bad. And then the person at third place ends up beating you both. <laughs> so, so, that, so, so that would be such a massive welcome shift. Um, you know, that because uh, that to me is where we have to try and lead people if you're going to try and educate folks is that right now, like, you know, we can all get mad at each other all the time, but like we're, the anger is not going to actually solve our problems or move us forward. It's like, what can we do that's going to help clean things up? Um, and, and one thing that's true of me, I think the Miz is, is this too. And this is one thing I'd love to ask you about uh, a little bit. It's like, I'm a dad. And so like you look at your kids and you're like, what the heck are we going to leave for them? Uh, are you like the most eligible bachelor on earth? Is that like the the story? <laughs> I wanted to hear you say it, but no, I, no, I, uh, I don't know. I kind of like, I, I, I tried, I tried it dating around, but I kind of like doing my own thing. Even now when I have a lot of downtime, uh, I'm like one night I'd be like, it'd be nice to have someone to go watch a movie with. And then I go, yeah, the other six nights I'd really like to watch family guy on my own here without having to like bother somebody. Else. I don't know. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll take your kind words. Yeah, technically it counts as uh, eligible. <laughs> My girlfriends well, are going to be mad at that, but still. No, I mean, uh, I certainly, um, well, one thing, like, I, you know, I think that would be really interesting from you, which I think you probably thought about, um, is... I feel like you have a book in you, my friend. I feel like there should be like the Nick Nemeth story. And I, I, I can't imagine I'm like the first time or the first person who said that sort of thing to you. Uh, that's true. Uh, yeah, it's, it, I think you're very correct. And um, I got about, about an uh, eight or 10 month window right now and a lot of downtime to figure out. And I think I'm going, I just actually had a few talks with a few people. I think I'm going to get starting on that pretty soon. And I'll probably get my brother involved to help me out because he published, self-published a couple different books and got a few things out there. So uh, I, we have this downtime. I have some 
pretty wild stories. And uh, you must. Your stories I, I, must be out of control. So yeah. I, I totally think you should write a book during this time. Um, or if not right, because one thing that happened, one of like the best sports books, not to say yours is a sports book, though it kind of would be. I mean, it's a lot of things like you've got a lot to offer. Um, but like, I think it was like the Andre Agassi book uh, where he sat down and just told this dude like his stories. And then like that, that person uh, helped craft like some of the things. Um, so if, if it's your brother, it'd be great. But I, I shit you not, man, if you just sat down and like just told <laughs> like told so many stories and just hit the recorder uh like i i literally think you'd have half the book written in like a week uh just because like the be, because i because I, I know it's daunting to sit down and actually like you know write pages and pages uh and, right. and so, so i'm just, just I'm, I'm just putting in like this like uh apparently the way andre agassi's book take took place was like he just told a bunch of like you told this person the stories and they put it all down and then like the book like took off from there so that's just me giving you like uh you know i like, I, I think i'll do some i i wanted to do something like that so yeah because i don't want to type it out no way but tell, sit there tell some stories i've been putting notes in my phone uh my friend justin roberts was like make just put notes down in your phone when some story you remember something put all these down i could tell them to somebody and actually a long time ago i read a uh, pam anderson did a book a long time ago and she just she took her life and changed some names and made it a parody and kind of changed a couple it's like instead of nikki six it was like ricky ricks or something like changed, <laughs> changed a few things around it was like jimmy lee instead of tommy lee or something like and changed a few situations and added in some crazy stories and then that way i can tell the crazy stories of the last 15 years behind the scenes and what's happening but also People can still go home to their families, but it can make it very exciting. So I feel like that's wow, you could you could do that. You could do like the thinly veiled, fictionalized version. Wow, that might even be better. I don't know, man. Like either would either would be a home run because like because your your stories would just be freaking epic and of interest to millions. Um, <laughs> so is it so aside from writing this book, which you should totally do. Uh, what else are you working on that that you want folks to know about outside of the fact that they can see you every week on uh, WWE? Of course, you can see me every week. Uh, but uh, so I I hate I hate free time. I'm so mad that I wasn't doing more in this off time. So I, I kept I, I forced myself to get you know uh, I have a book that I read just on plane rides and I have a book that I read in my backyard. Getting reading done, but most importantly, um, I have stacks and stacks of notebooks that I've been filling up for comedy shows for years. And I go and now. I'm out of practice. I'm just getting into a little bit of a rhythm and now I'm out of it. So I've been writing down everything, whether it's in my phone or in these notes and walking around my backyard and just trying to stay unrusty. So the second we are good to go and have some shows back, one, I, I need to get to that uh, Motley Crue Poison Tour, which got canceled this year, which is really bummed. I was going to like four of the shows. I'm really bummed out. But uh, more importantly, when we get those, the, the go ahead to start opening, some comedy clubs are opening, but it's, it's a little weird and iffy right now. When it's good to go, I'm going to be ready to go, go out there maybe do an hour, have the shows. And uh, I've, I've been working on the material and writing and writing. And uh, now some of it's going to go toward a book. But I'm ready to go to get back out there on the tour. And uh, I, I can't wait to get out of my house more. So, Well, if, if there was a world champion of comedy, they should definitely uh, have their eye out for you because if history is any indication, you're going to end up challenging for it <laughs> over a period of time. Nick, 
thank you for doing this. Congratulations on everything, man. You are uh, you're like an epic freaking uh, against all odds success story in many, many respects. Like like I have so much admiration for what you and your fellow performers do, but you in particular, I feel like uh, rose to the top through a lot of stuff that, you know, frankly, was not in your favor. Uh, and, and the fact that now you're you're just continuing to push yourself into new directions and new fields. I mean, you're you're such uh, such a dynamo, such a powerhouse. There's like no limit to what you could do. I certainly would not want to be uh, your future political opponent. Um, so you and I have to make sure and uh, be part of the the, the same general camp. <laughs> well, we'll figure something out. We'll be the the new age reformed independent party. We'll find some weird, a cool. They put it down there and like they were in. Yeah, the country needs it, brother. The country needs it. 